0: Story, being vulnerable with her testimony. So beautiful. One of the things, as I was listening to Brielle talk, one of the things that she said that I thought was extremely key and extremely important. But she talked about Jesus being our savior, but as Jesus, our Lord. And I think that's fitting because when we talk about sanctification, when we talk about growing in the Lord, when we talk about finishing our race and crossing the finish line, we'll never get there if we don't ever get to a place of making Jesus, not just our beneficial savior, but the one that we truly give control over our life, the one that we truly allow to lead our life. And And that's what this sanctification process is about, right? The sanctification process is not about him saving us. He positionally did that when we accepted him. Our sanctifying process is about us transferring lordship from our flesh, from the world, from our desires to Jesus. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to rid ourselves or shed or crucify our flesh daily so that we look more and more like Jesus and that we conform to him, that we allow him to be our master. And so as we have been walking through this series We've been looking at Romans chapter 6 and the whole idea of essentially Paul's argument. Paul opening a statement saying, is it okay for us to sin that grace may abound? And that question led Paul to go down this whole line of reasoning to instruct the believers that not only is it not okay, but it is absolutely not consistent with the life of a believer. What is consistent with the life of a believer, what is consistent with our identity as a follower of Christ is freedom from sin and power over sin. What is not consistent, Paul argues, is that we yield ourselves to habitual intentional sin in our life. And Paul is arguing that we'll never progress in our sanctifying in the sanctification or the sanctifying work of the Father if we never get to a place Um, No longer being okay with our stuff, but getting to a point where we partner with God and crucifying our flesh. And so he makes this argument in that first message saying, listen, we got to be ready to die. Because in death, we are separated from the power and dominion of sin in our life. Death separates us. And so we talked about that we we have to be ready to die. We have to be ready to die with Christ. And we all who have confessed faith in Christ have died with him when we were baptized into his death. But then Paul continues in that argument, and we talked last week, and he started talking about life after death. So what does life look like after we've died to sin? Well, now that we've died to the dominion and rulership of sin, he says that now we didn't just die, but we resurrect with Christ. And in resurrecting with Christ, we were resurrected and seated where he's seated. And the place that Christ is seated is far above every rule, authority, principality of this world. Christ is seated in power. And so to live life after death is to live free from the dominion and power and rule of sin, but then also to have power now. Power over sin. So Paul says that sin has been rendered powerless. It hasn't went anywhere. It hasn't been eradicated from our life, but its power has been brought to nothing because of the Holy Spirit's power living in us. And so that was just the first two Biggie albums. And so now as we look at Paul finishing out Romans chapter 6, we're going to talk about we were ready to die, and we experienced life after death. And so all of my former Biggie people, what's the next album? born again. Now we have to live a life as born again believers. We have broken the rule of sin in our life. We have been given the power to overcome it. So now we live as born again believers with that power. And so Paul is going to now finish out this chapter talking about the expectation of those of us who have been born again, made alive by God, free from the dominion of sin and power over sin, Father, we thank you for today, God. I pray that, Lord, you would increase in me as I decrease. Let your word go forth. Let it be edifying. Let it be applicable to our lives, and let us grab hold of that application and be sure to not just hear, uh, but to do it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to look at the last verses here in Romans chapter six, uh, verses twelve through twenty-three, and when we talk about power, I talked last week and I explained that the power that we are talking about is not our power. That Paul is not calling us to lean on our strength, to lean on our power. Rather, the power that Paul is talking about comes through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Every believer that has confessed faith, every genuine believer who has confessed faith in Jesus Christ has been deposited to the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we have power. Through the Holy Spirit, we have authority. Through the Holy Spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit's leading, we can overcome and resist the very thing that continues to knock on our door. Through the Holy Spirit. We can have victory over temptation and the sin areas in our life that we struggle with. And what I love about that is that it communicates that honestly when we talk about overcoming sin... We're honestly just talking about something God did for us that we receive. And so I started to explain, well, well, if God did it all, right, he crucified us, he resurrected us. If he did it all, he gave us the Holy Spirit. Then why is it that some of us are still finding ourselves living, not as he is not as Lord in our life, We are living in habitual intentional sin, finding ourselves unable, feeling like we are unable to overcome whatever that thing may be in your life that you're trying to have victory over. And I explain that it's more than likely because we are trying to live independent versus dependent. Right? Independent on self believing that we have the strength within ourselves to do the things that God is calling for us to do instead of being dependent on the Holy Spirit's power to enable us and allow us to do the very things that we desire to do. And the way that we rely on God is through yielding to the Holy Spirit to work through a strength and power. That's what we talked about last week. And I talked about this being sanctification. But there's individuals, like every teaching that Paul ever had, that would take a truth and pervert it. And so what happens is people here. It is not my own strength. People hear that it is not independent of me, but it is dependent of God. And what that happens is that people take that truth, and then they take it to mean that that means there is nothing that they have to do for their sanctifying journey. They just kick back, sit back. Anything that ain't changed in my life is because God didn't want it to change in my life because it's on him anyway, right? No. Not right. That is a perversion of the truth that we should be dependent on God. But God's work in our life won't not happen if we don't do our part as well. See, when Paul said that we are being transformed, that was a process. And the reality is sanctification is a process. It is dependent upon God because it's passive. What is passive? Well, grammatically, a passive verb means the subject. It means that the subject is the one who received the action of the verb. So, in other words, when Paul says we are being conformed or being transformed, being is passive, meaning it is not us who is doing the transforming. Rather, we are being transformed from something outside of ourselves. Right. In other words, it ain't on us. It is God who brings about the transformation. It is God who brings about the sanctification. And Paul clarifies that in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 when he says this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says God himself will be the one who sanctifies you. And then he explains how in 2 Thessalonians thirteen He says, be ought. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by God, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and through belief in the truth. As we believe on God's word, as we believe on God, he deposits the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit begins to sanctify us, but it also doesn't stop there, because I talked about last week. Also, the Word is a part of that. As we continue to believe the truth of what God says and do it, we will become more and more like, okay. And so when we believed, we received the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, again, in Galatians 5.16, that if we walk by the Spirit, what Spirit? The Spirit that's going to sanctify us. He's going to sit back and he's going to do all the work. But Paul says he'll do it, but he says we got to do what? Walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. That means that there's another thing that we could do. We could not walk according to the Spirit, Right? Sanctification will occur in the believer's life by God through the Holy Spirit, but that does not mean that we have no responsibility in our sanctification journey. That does not mean that we get to go on living in sin, proclaiming that since it is God to produce the growth, then if I ain't changed, he must not allow it yet. That is not true. But what is true is that when you look at people's lives and you try to understand While one person's growth looks different than another person's growth. And here's the thing whenever we're struggling in an area in our life and we see somebody else not struggling in an area, we got the tendency to make an excuse for them. What's the excuse? Oh, they don't understand. They ain't got it like I got it. So so what we do is when somebody's walking in victory, we minimize their victory by claiming that they don't got to deal with the same temptation. We put them in a temptationless bubble. And the reason that we are struggling is because we get hit with all the temptation, not them. So we make an excuse for their victory. Right? And giving us a reason to to, to sit in our own failures, our own choices that we've made. And we got to stop that. We got to stop taking somebody else who is choosing to yield and surrender to the Holy Spirit and act like they ain't dealing with. No, they're just choosing to do something in that moment that you didn't choose to do in your moment. It doesn't mean they didn't have the same struggle. It doesn't mean that they didn't deal with the same temptation. It doesn't mean that they weren't crying at night. It don't mean that they they didn't have to go to bed early. It just means that they chose to depend on the Holy Spirit. Let me explain something. In the spirit, there is no lesser or greater measure of the spirit. What does that mean? That means there is no greater or lesser measure of the spirit's power in each of the believers. There is greater and lesser yielding and surrendering. So it's not that the person that has victory has a greater measure of the spirit's power. No, no, no. We all got the same hope. He didn't dish it out differently. The only thing he chose to dish out differently was gifts. And obedience isn't a gift, it's a requirement. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he gives us all the same ability. And so when we see people in different places in their walk, in their growth journey, in their sanctification journey, it's not because they have more power than you. It's because they've gotten to a place in their life when they have chose to yield to the Spirit more than yielding to their flesh. That's the difference. That what sets the mature believer from the immature believer apart. It's just a yielding. It's just a surrendering. It is not a lesser, a greater spirit and it is not less temptation. Now, that just means that there is an active role that we must play. Because God plays the passive role. But in our sanctifying journey, there's another role, which is the active role. And grammatically, what does the active role mean? Well, and, and passively, it means that It is happening to the subject. In the active voice, it means that the subject is the one doing the action. So, for instance, John hit the ball is active. John was hit by the ball is passive. Right? And what Paul does in Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 12, is he starts to introduce a list of active verbs. Where he is now calling the believers to do some active things. He is now placing on the believers an expectation and a responsibility. Yes, God did all the work, but now what I need you to do is lean into his work and do your part. The spirit will do its job. You got to walk, though, by the spirit. If you won't walk according to the spirit, the spirit can't do its work in you because the spirit's work is happening. You're just choosing not to listen, not to hear it, not to receive the conviction, to ignore it, to grieve it. Ephesians 4.20. And so Paul says this, therefore, do not let sin reign, that's an active verb, it's actually present and active, that means concurrently, <laughs> do not let sin reign, in your mortal bodies, so that you obey its desires, and do not offer, that's another active verb, and it's present, that means now, do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead offer, active and present, Yourself to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. He says, therefore, don't let sin rain. Now, why does he say therefore? Because we ended last week in verse 11 when he said, consider yourselves, therefore, dead to sin and alive with God. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, therefore. Therefore, what? Therefore, that I, why I am dead to sin, I am from underneath the rule in the dominion of Satan. Why I'm alive to Christ. He is my Lord. He is my strength. He is my power. Therefore, in that truth, do not let sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. Considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God looks like us playing an active role in our sanctifying journey. Right? He tells us to don't let sin reign. And he can tell us not to let sin reign, not because it's dependent on me, but he can tell us not to let sin reign because of what God did. Because God crucified us with Christ, he made us free. And so now because God did his part in making us free, Paul can tell us to do our part and not let things that don't have reign in our life continue to reign in our life. Right. He says, don't offer these parts to your body to unrighteousness because God has what Set you free. And because he set you free, you are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to obey the the desires of your flesh when they creep in. You actually now, because of what God did, are able to now switch roles and offer those same body parts to righteousness. But it's not because of what I did. I am still depending on God's work, but I am living from God's work. Being active in our sanctification is about depending on the effectiveness of God's freedom to resist our flesh, sin, and temptation. I'm depending on his effectiveness, not my own. When God crucified the flesh and said we're dead, effective. When God rose us from the grave and gave us power, effective. And so I lean on the effectiveness of his work to resist. My own flesh, sin, and temptation. And I know we all would just rather the other way. We all would rather it just really be, no, I'm just depending on God. I'm just sitting back, waiting on God to do his thing in my life. You know what I'm saying? I'm just waiting on God to stop me from doing everything that he keeps telling me not to do. You know what I'm saying? We know how we. be. We all have done it. I mean, well, if God don't really want me to sleep with him, man, they're like going to not come over. I mean, if God really don't want me to hit this weed, let my weed man stand me up. weed man coming if you call. He's not standing. If he's standing you up, he's not a good weed man. (laughs) Brother don't need the job. (laughs) Moving on. God, if you really don't want me to punch this person in the face, move on their heart to apologize. And if he ain't move on their heart, God must want me to punch you in the face. Like, we would much rather it be that way. Like, just, look, God, you better do it because I'm going to do it if you don't do it. And God is like, no, 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 no. That is not how it works. As beautiful as it would be, and as much as we all would love it to be that way, God is, is stopping us. But he is not stopping through the eradication of the temptation, through the eradication of the sin. Instead, he is stopping us through the indwelling, convicting work of the Holy Spirit. When you want to punch him, God told you not to. When you want to call him or her, God told you, you better go to sleep. Hey, sleepy helping. Listen, I'm married now. I was single before. Sometimes you just gotta go to bed at six. <laughs> it's an early night for me. <laughs> Listen, there ain't nothing like going to sleep, waking up with new strength. When you go to sleep, put your phone on do not disturb, because you know the devil will wake you up out to sleep. <laughs> Oh yeah, Listen, and it's so funny, Coretta said that. Y'all know I'll be going off right uh, We got to hurry. Uh, <laughs> Coretta, it's so funny because Coretta keep her phone on do not disturb. And i be needing to call her throughout the day. And so I just know, like, first time I'm like, oh, yeah, it's on. And I just call right back because I'm going to get through on the second ring. So I don't know how you deal with the devil in that moment. I don't know if you can make it, like, period, you can't get through. Oh, you can? Oh, you, oh, block lifts? Okay, so get the block list together. And and when you put your block list together on your phone and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, don't be going to settings, block list, trying to see if if you want to remove the person. If they block, leave them blocked. And then make, anyway, all right. God isn't removing sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And we don't get to grieve the Spirit or not listen to him and then blame God for not stopping us. See, see, when we read 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we read it this way. No temptation has come upon us except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But when the temptation comes, he provides the way out so that you may be able to bear it. And that's how we read it. And you should, because that's exactly what it says. But sometimes you don't read what it says. Read what it don't say. What it don't say is he'll make you take the way of escape. He just said, oh, I'll give you a way out. Now, if you don't take it, you don't get to be like, God, you ain't look out. He's like, I did look out. You ain't want to go. You ain't had no gas, so I, I tried to make it harder. It was cold outside, so you could have not, because you, you still wouldn't got gas, cold. It was an accident on the freeway. You waited. You could have turned around and been like, I'm going back home. It ain't worth it. God, like, I, I tried everything. You just was like, I'm, I'm, I'm content on doing this thing, God. I, mm-mm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I know they apologize, but I ain't like the way they said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to see their face when they apologize. Twitter ain't enough for a slap. All right, so listen. When we have the Spirit of God who is doing what he does to keep us from falling, we have to do our part, which is to yield to the Spirit's Leading, it's those who have victory that do it. Those who take the way of escape that do it. I remember early in my walk, uh, Kareem was like, "We was I don't even remember what we was talking about, but I think he was teaching at an R one two lesson, and I'd never forget Kareem broke down how like Joseph was just doing his job." minding his own business, serving Pharaoh. He ain't telling the man wife to try to give him some. And so when the wife tried, Joseph could have been like a lot of the people in the world and been like, I mean, it just came up on me, God, I didn't know what to do. But Joseph was like, this is how I see Joseph. I see Joseph... Like Friday. When his daddy got out after Debo knocked him out, and he ran up, and Debo said, You want him? No. <laughs> and ran, no. And ran the other way? Sometimes we got to have that, whip. no. <laughs> Sometimes that is your way of escape. No. And your feet, and your shoes. Flee. Because James says resist the devil and he will flee. It doesn't say that God will make him leave and he will flee. God is always going to remove, he's never going to remove temptation completely. He doesn't have to. Why? Because he's given us his spirit. This is why Paul says don't let it rain. You don't have to. Right? You, 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 you're not in, con- he's not in control anymore. Some of us get caught sh- slipping, that's cool. But, but raining is about remaining. Right. Sometimes you just do get caught slipping, but you don't have to remain there Through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be like enough's enough. And I talked about that last week, whatever that area may be. And it's, it's different for everybody. But walking in victory is obtainable, but not apart from us playing our role in obtaining it. And so instead of yielding, Paul says, don't give any parts to his desires. Instead, give them to God. Like, if we ever just thought about our whole body belonging to God, we might do better at this resistance. It's God's, all of it. Your breath, your mind, your heart, your mouth, your feet, your fingers, your thoughts, it's all God. So if I consider that I'm not giving none of that to unrighteousness, then guess what happened? Well, sin ain't abstract. So if you're not giving body parts to it, it can't happen. That's your mouth that you once gave to sin by tearing down, cussing people out, lying. Right? Now you give it to God. And you speak truth. You speak the gospel. You build people up with it now. Right? The eyes that you once gave to sin, coveting what other people had, jealousy, lusting at the people you ain't got no business looking at, watching porn, looking on to evil, we now give it to God. That means we look on things which is holy, pleasing to God. We look at needs of people so that we may help to serve them. Right? The ears that we once gave to listening to our flesh, listening to gossip and dissension. Come on, y'all. I got to tell them people that I don't want to hear that. Promoting ungodliness. We now give to God, using them to listen to the Spirit. Listening to ways that we can help people, that may we serve them. Listening to worship our minds, the things that we once gave to thinking of ways to sin. We used to sit around trying to figure out how to do stuff we ain't got no business doing. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Manipulating people. Emotionally abusing people. He says we now give it to God, using our minds to create programs to help the needy. To think of better ways to serve people. To think of better ways to advance the kingdom. Our hearts that we used to give to loving sin and loving things that are not right. God says, now I want you to give that your heart to loving God. Our hands and fingers that we once gave to stealing, violence, sexual sin. Okay, so I was talking to my guys in Bible study, and I said, I'm going to hit this differently today. Side note, and I want to hit it differently for the singles. I'm going to hit it differently from the singles. Uh, Code word, a lot of kids in the room. Because when you Emin, okay? A lot of times we hear that, and I don't, I don't care what the world say, it's sin. They, they, y'all can argue about that all you want. Y'all can sit around there and argue about all day long if it's wrong for you to please yourself. Yeah. Argue what you want. But you're arguing with yourself, because God, like, ain't no argument for me. It's wrong. But, but listen, here's the problem, though. For my singles, I'm about to hit it this way. Because when we talk about emin', married people don't think we're talking about them, too. So let me just tell you something, married people. We can talk at marriage ministry. Single sex is single sex. Now, the marriage bid is undefiled, excluding porn and other people. Outside of that, whatever freaky stuff y'all on, that's for God to judge. <laughs> whatever y'all do together is for when you, God. You talk to him about it. He'll let you know if it was right or wrong. But when your spouse ain't giving it up, you don't get to go in the closet just like a single person don't get to go in the closet. If they ain't with you, don't do it. Now, whatever else, little stuff, y'all, that's between y'all. Don't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Let me also say this, though, married people. I'm being specific for a reason. If it's wrong for a single person to be out in these streets, get hot by somebody in the streets, and go home and get off from what somebody in the streets got them hot on, it is equally wrong for you to get hot, married person, by somebody out there in them streets, go home and use your spouse to get off when she ain't get on. If they turned you on, don't touch your wife that night. Deal with yourself, because your wife's body is not an opportunity for you to get off with somebody else got on. Just don't do it. Just be like, I'm going to take a night off. (laughs) And that's something that early in my marriage, God convicted me of. Year one, God convicted me of it. And so I've carried that with me since. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because when we talk about sexual self, we typically only make that a single problem. And when we make it a single problem, What we teach singles is that when you get married, sexual sin stops. And so now you're waiting to get married to deal with a problem that you can deal with in your singleness. Because it don't stop when you get married. Everybody married, don't raise your hand, but we know this. (laughs) I would argue it intensifies. Because the difference between me and you is I'm committed. You not. Only to God. But I'm committed to a couple people. God and her, family, everybody. So it's a whole list of stuff that I got to make sure that I am resisting for, right? But it don't mean that it don't keep coming, right? When you get married, it don't change. This is why I tell, I got to hurry, I was not, okay. This is why I tell single people, if they can't get their stuff together single, they going to mess around on you when you're married. Because marriage don't fix sexual sin. It doesn't excuse sexual sin. All right? Are y'all with me? Now, for every single that I just messed up, marriage ministry is every third Friday. We can argue it out there. But the hands and fingers that you use for sin, you now give to God for helping people, serving people. Righteous pleasure. The point is, the same parts that we use for sin under bondage for sin, we now use for righteousness and to glorify God because we are free to. Romans 6.14, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. Now, now, now this is a verse that a lot of people use and abuse at the same time. Because a lot of people read this verse as we're not under law but under grace as a way to, like, justify, like, there is no law and to justify them just doing whatever they want to do. Well, I'm not under law. Well, but Paul's giving you a command. So the same people he's saying, you're not under law, he's telling them to obey God. Well, what am I supposed to be obeying then, Paul? That's confusing. And I believe that context matters here, right? Because what is the context? Paul has been telling people to not use their body parts for things that are unrighteous. Paul has been telling people to now use their body parts for things that are righteous, Then he says, for sin will not rule over you because you're not under law but under grace. But what does that have to do with the fact that Paul is instructing people to not use their body parts for unrighteousness? This is what it means. Not being under law but under grace expresses why we can and should obey God. It is not a reason for why we don't have to. Take a picture because it's going away. Onslaught of scriptures. Romans 7 verse 5. For when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. Now, uh, 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 after Resurrection Sunday, we'll start Romans chapter 7. Reem is actually going to start Romans chapter 7 off. And, we're gonna, and Paul is really going to elaborate on this whole idea, right? But I'm sneaking sneak it in, cliffhanger right now. But Paul says this, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law. We're working in us to bear. In other words, he said the flesh is so opposed to the things of God that when God says don't do something, it arouses the flesh to actually want to do it. Therefore, listen, when God is instructing us to do something, the flesh that we were in bondage to before Christ freed us wouldn't allow us to do it. Therefore, being under the law required something of us that we were not able to actually perform. The law, which gives instructions for righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training into righteousness, actually worked in the opposite. Because of the sinfulness of our flesh, instead of it producing righteousness, it produced death. Why? Because we weren't able to do it. Why? Because of the flesh. And so being under the law while also being in bondage to the flesh put us in a lose-lose situation. So God had to do something. Listen, I'm cliffhangering this thing, so, so stay with me. We're, we're going to elaborate this when we hit Romans 7 because there's a lot, but I'm just, I'm trying, I gotta, I'm just giving you a cliffhanger because I just want you to understand what Paul meant. God had to do something. So in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, God had a response to the continued failures of Israel. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. He said, I'll remove your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. He said, I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you, say, I'll cause you, I'll cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinance. In other words, God said in the future, he's going to start a new covenant, one in which he is going to help us do what he is calling us to do. And he said this in response to the fact that Israel couldn't figure it out. All right. So what does that mean? All of the followers of Christ, we are under the new covenant. So that means what God promised in Ezekiel is present today. And interesting enough, Paul makes this connection, right? The same Paul that said we're under grace says this about grace in Titus 2, verses 11 to 12. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. That's, that's more than an abstract thing. He said grace is actually a person, right? For the grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation for all people and instructing us to deny godliness, worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. So Paul uses the same language of Ezekiel, but when Paul uses it, he says it about what? Grace. Okay. So when Paul connects grace and the Spirit, what Paul is talking about is that the grace of God is the Spirit of God. Right? Grace is not simply what we're saved by. Grace is not simply what doesn't condemn us when we stumble. Yes, it, doesn't re- it removes the condemnation in the process, but grace is also what instructs, teaches, and enables us to obey God. This is why every believer should be able to read the Word of God and apply it, because we no longer don't have the ability to. Right? And so Paul is instructing us to resist sin and to obey God with our bodies when he makes the statement that you are not under law, but under grace. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I'm telling you to offer your bodies to righteousness because you actually are able to do it now. For sin has no rule over you because you are not under law. You are no longer under the thing (laughs) that you were in bondage to, unable to obey God. But instead, as a believer, you're under grace because the spirit of God has been deposited into you. And when the spirit of God deposited into you, he teaches you. He causes you to obey. So now Paul is saying, I'm telling you to change what you offer yourself to because you're able to. That's what Paul is trying to communicate (coughs) by saying that you are not under law, but you are under grace. He's trying to communicate that we are able to. And look at this, Romans 8, 3, 4. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who sit around and wait on God to do it. Mm, no that's not what that's about. that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Back to Galatians 5:16 for those who walk according to the spirit certainly will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul is teaching us again that yes God did the work, but when he did the work, He freed us. He gave us the power. Now we are able to actually do the things that God is instructing us to do. No excuses. No excuses. No, I can't help myself. No, I'm just a poor sinner with no ability. God says, no, you're a saint who has my spirit. Your flesh was weakened. But my spirit's not. This is why Paul says the flesh is weak, but the spirit is able. I am weak, but if I lean in, I walk with, I depend on the spirit, he is able to cause me to do whatever it is that God is requiring of me to do in those moments. The point is that we do not get to continue in sin because we're under grace. Right. We are under the helper. We are under the power. And that's what Paul says in Romans 6, 15 through 18. What then should we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. Paul's like, no, absolutely not. This is the same argument he just dealt with in Romans chapter six. Right. And then he he makes his logical arguments like he always do. You do know that if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you're a slave to the one that you obey. Either sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, past tense, not anymore, freed in Christ, you obeyed. I'm sorry, where are we at? Though you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Here it is. God did not give us power over sin as a license to sin. That's weird. I gave you power over it so you can do it. It only really makes sense. Like, sometimes if we just ask our flesh if it's making sense, our spirit will be like, no. I'm, just, you know, I'm being honest. Like, sometime, sometimes I feel like the spirit be like, ask me if that makes sense. Be- because the Bible tells us that what? For the unrighteous person, our consciences are seared as a hot iron. We're going to think a whole lot of stuff that don't make no sense to the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God be like, if you just ask me, I'm going to tell you, eh, that don't make sense. Just think about it. Just think about it. One second. I need you to take two seconds to think about what you just said and then ask me if that really makes sense. God gave me power over sin. So why are you uh, not walking in victory? Because <laughs> I got a license to sin. Two plus... No, that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> Got to carry the one, then divide it too. Being free allows us to choose who our master is. We all are now trans. We are now moved from a place of forced obligation to choice. When we were in bondage to sin, we had no ability but to obey what it told us to do. But being free from sin, we now have the ability to say no. And I'm not saying that you're going to say no all the time. That's why sanctification is a process. But what I am saying is until you learn to start saying no, you'll never have victory. You'll never begin to actually see yourself walking in any level of consistency if you just sit back thinking that God is going to wave his magic wand and solve all your problems. He's not. He did his work. He did his job. And now he's saying, you do your part and depend on the work that I did. And if you just do and walk and yield to my spirit over your flesh, guess what will happen every single time? Have victory. So I like to look at it one way is when I look at like sin, instead of looking at it as like being wrong or right, I look at it as like choosing God or Satan a little different for me maybe it don't work for you but i'd be like all right am i to choose satan because righteousness is god and sin is satan so am i better choose satan or am i going to choose god in this moment right not if i'm going to choose right and wrong no am i going to choose god my father i'm going to choose satan not my father <laughs> right and here's the thing there is no gray. we are either offering ourselves to righteousness or offering ourselves to And I know we, I know the truth. I love him. He came out with an album, the gray or purple, whatever he said. Ain't no. He was talking about doctrine and even some of that was a little strange. But, but there is no gray. If you are not offering yourself to God, you are offering yourself to Satan. That's how God sees it. God says, it's me and the enemy. Now, we have allowed the world to confuse us and trick us and make us think that it's all these other people in between. But God is like, wherever them other people is, they still Satan. So God says, I see I see one or two things, my children and his children. So if you're not doing what I said, if I'm not your daddy, then that's your daddy. That's why Jesus told him when they was challenging him, talking about you driving out demons by bells. He said, listen, you and your father, Satan, been saved. Lying and deceiving and sinning from the beginning. He looked at these folk and told them they daddy is Satan. That's a different way to look at stuff. Because we like to run around telling everybody that ain't doing that, don't even love the Lord. You know, you, you are a child of God. You're not. That is a watered-down good news. The good news of the gospel is that I was alienated from God, separated from God. The Bible says I was an enemy of God. But through Christ, He reconciled us. To him. That's why John 1 says, all who believe on Christ, he gave the right to be called a child of God. We didn't have that right apart from Christ. And so God is saying, if you're not offering your stuff to me, then the only other place to be offering it is to Satan. And many believers, I gotta hurry, I gotta go, I gotta go. And many believers are adopting all of these worldly principles, trying to make them godly. But at the end of the day, we are simply just putting makeup on Satan's handiwork. It's ungodly. It don't matter how much we try to make it fit, God, it is ungodly. And once you put that alcohol pad to it, you know it, ladies, and get that stuff off. Underneath it, you're going to see exactly what it is. What, what, y'all, what y'all use to take it off? I don't know. I'm supposed to take everything off. <laughs> what y'all use? Ain't there alcohol in it? No. I think it is. Read it. <laughs> Smell like it. All right. Like it. <laughs> Lysol. I, I didn't seen some people take a baby wipe <laughs> and wipe their makeup off. Yeah, Ain't no alcohol in that. No. Uh, no. Maybe I should have asked the spirit. He would have told me that, <laughs> that <didn't> makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, I got to go. Romans six nineteen. I'm using human analogies (coughs) because of the weakness of your flesh. For just if you offer parts of yourself as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves of righteousness which results in sanctification. Here's the last thing Paul teaches us about our role in our sanctification and victory. He says that in the same way when we were in the flesh, we kept sinning. Now that you're in Christ, keep sanctifying. Right? We should never reach a point in our walk where we are no longer attempting to progress. Right. Whenever we allow ourselves to be stagnant, that is when. OK, if this is this, I, I don't know if it's a Bible verse for this. This is me. It is my position that if you are not progressing, you're regressing. I don't believe that you can ever just be standing still in Christ. Because if you're not progressing, what's keeping you from progressing? The only thing that will keep me from progressing would be my flesh. And that means if my flesh is stopping me from progressing, I'm now regressing into obedience to it. So I don't believe that we can ever be in a place of being a halt. Matter of fact, sanctification does not take place at a halt. It takes place in progress. And as believers, we should never be content with just being wherever we came from. Well, at least I ain't what I used to be. That's great. Now keep becoming who you're supposed to be. I am happy that you're not who you used to be but I am not content that you're not who you used to be. I want to see you become who you're supposed to be, not just not be who you used to be. To not be who you used to be, if you were a, mass, if you were a, a, a serial killer, you just don't need to kill a bunch of people, and you're not who you used to be. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you're a drug addict, and you stop using one drug, but you don't stop, okay, you're not technically who you used to be. Right? Is that really good enough? I don't know. My wife don't want me just not to be who I used to be. She much rather me continue to become who I'm supposed to be. And too many of us are content with just the change that happened when we said yes to the Lord. But the Bible tells us that we are to continue to die to our flesh that we may progress. And when we stop doing that, that is when we let our guard down and we become open to the enemy's work in our life, and let me explain something to you. Everybody that is under the age of 30, or what am I, 7? 7. seven. <laughs> Y'all love using that language. We like leveling up. Leveling up, promoting, all that word we use. I'm, looking, I'm about to get my promotion. I'm about to level up. Well, that can't just be in your bag. <laughs> that can't just be in your finances, on your job. Take that same mindset to your walk. I need to level up in my walk with Christ. Right? Don't just make it up, don't just use that language when it benefits you and your bag and your followers and your purpose and your job. But what about when it's about, okay, Romans 23, right? When you were slaves to sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced in them? For things you are now ashamed of, the outcome of those things is death, but now since you've been freed from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. Uh, let me just make this statement so because we, we got to go. Paul says, you know what the outcome of those things of sin are. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm the person that I know what I used to do before I was a Christian. I also know the consequences of the things that I used to do when I was I know they didn't bring me nothing good. Sexual sin brought me two amazingly beautiful, loving daughters that I adore. Mm, mm, mm. That's so beautiful. <laughs> and for that, I'm thankful. But it also brought me child support, (laughs) headaches. But you know what's the, the worst thing that it brought? It's for them. Being in a blended household, there's a tug of war between value systems. What it brings is never good. And I know this because I've done it. And so when Autumn was singing, my response is, hallelujah, I'm never going back. That's how we should look at our life. When sin tries to get us to do that thing, we should be like, no, I already know how this story goes. I know where this road leads. Sorry, no, I'm not traveling that again. We used to say he been no good from the beginning. But after the Oscar, she been no good from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to get in trouble. <laughs> I'm definitely canceled now. <laughs> Five people just canceled me. <laughs> but my point is, but you keep going back to them. You know how the story ends. You crying, heartbroken, lonely depressed, emotionally abused, we know how to, st- in the same way we know where sin takes, So, we- but what God says is, well, we know that sin takes you to death, but he says what well, my gift though is, is that when you obey me, I don't reward you in judgment, I don't reward you in punishment, for obeying me, I don't bring destruction in your life, now sometimes the stuff he cut from our life feel like destruction, in our life. <laughs> but that's just him feeling But God says, when you do what I tell you to do, the result is life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Sin will cause death. And like Adam, death does not mean bodily and right away. Some of the consequences come later. But sin will always produce death. This is the gift of sin. But God uses a better gift. He gives us a better gift. He gives us eternal life. Those who have chosen him. He didn't pay us in death. He paid us in life. So again, why are we choosing sin? Right? Who here will continue to work for somebody who pays you in punishment? Y'all can be making six figures and leave a job because you don't like the way your boss looked at you. I ain't got to take that. And here the enemy is paying you in punishment. And we keep working for him. Meanwhile, we got God who loves us, who cares for us, who cherishes us, who constantly pays us in love, who constantly pays us in life, who constantly pays us in things that are good. And we make a decision to keep going back to a workplace, to a boss who don't care about us, who don't love us, who only wants the worst of our life. We know that the Bible says that the enemy's job, Satan comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And then we trick ourselves to think that what he's offering us ain't to kill and destroy us. Or steal life from us. But as born-again believers, we get to make a different choice. All of us and sometimes the choice is harder to make because the weight of that thing has been part of us for so long and sometimes it's going to take a little while and so sometimes it's harder to make that choice sometimes it's easier to make that choice but whether it's hard or easy we still have the ability to make the choice The question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I okay with dealing with the inconvenience or the the, the uncomfortable feeling and making that choice? It's like when I know I ain't got no business eating what I'm supposed to eat, I can just go home and not go to Wendy's. I'm only craving it while I'm in my car by it. If I go home, I ain't leaving back out. I'm going to eat whatever salad in the refrigerator. The choice may be hard while I'm driving past it. But every time, and I remove myself from its presence, I remove myself from its influence, I resist, it becomes easier. And so we have to get to a place of making the choice. We have to receive God's work and do our part to resist the flesh daily and to yield to the spirit daily. This is how we grow. And this is how we walk in greater levels of victory accepting God's work and doing ours, our work of submitting, our work of yielding. One of the most convicting things that I remember reading of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 as we prepare for communion, I need a cup too, Um, as one of the most convincing things I remember reading in 2 Corinthians 5 is Paul said, Paul said when he came to understand the love of Christ he said it compelled him to live a life that was no longer his but to God and that's one of those things that I've always held with me that while I was a sinner God loved me so much That he he didn't leave me in my filth. He didn't leave me in my mess. And we don't got to glorify the mess that we used to do, but I am not your average pastor. I got mess. And a lot of it. But what I love about God is that he didn't leave me there. Instead, he said, as jacked up as you are, the world has ridden you off. Family has ridden you off. They said you ain't no good. You ain't going to amount to nothing. But he said, "I, I got a different story. I got a different word for you. And Tank, if you would just give me your life, watch what I do through you. Everybody that said you would be nothing. Will see me work crazy in your life. Everybody that says you be, you're dumb. You're never gonna amount to nothing. Everybody that said this kid graduated with 1.8 GPA in two years. They'll be calling me Dr. Tanks, and that's not on my own. That's the work that God did through me. He said, "You know, all that stuff that you wanted to be, aspirations to somehow." You know, <laughs> I ain't watching. Everybody watch drug movies and think they're going to be at. And I was like, me too, right? But all of that that I put into that, God said, if you let me work in you, I'm going to make you something. But the thing that I make you will not be somebody who has contributed to the death of people. But you'll be somebody that now gives life to people that now speak words that build them up, that now you don't give them poison, you give them life, you give them truth, you give them love. Instead of grabbing these boys and telling them to follow me to hell, I now grab them, I say, follow me in the way to Christ. But all of that was because of a yes. And I don't know who is here that is withholding your yes. But I am praying for you in the spirit that you would no longer reserve your yes to the Father. But instead, you would just say yes. Whatever God's plan, whatever his purpose is, don't ask for him to map it all out. You don't need no vision boards to see where he's taking you. All you need to do is believe on him. Trust in him. Let him lead you. And where you end up will always be better than whatever you thought would be best for you. And so if that's you and you've been reserving your yes, before we take communion, I want to give you an opportunity to make that yes today.